So um, it's been a long time since my kids were in preschool. Uh, so I'm not sure if this is still a thing now in a day and age of iPads and kids TV shows. But when I was in preschool, okay, back in England where I grew up, um, I can remember that we used to sing nursery rhymes. Now, I know that makes it sound like I lived hundreds of years ago. I was just, you know, there were horses and carriages on cobblestone streets of London. There's a Dick Van Dyke was dancing. There's a chimney sweep. You know, it wasn't quite that long ago. But uh, I do remember as a little kid singing nursery rhymes at nursery school, um, preschool that we went to. And um, one of the nursery rhymes we sang in England was called A Ring, A Ring of Roses, which uh, I found out there's also popular here in America until I started to search out that particular nursery rhyme this week because I wanted to talk about it in my message. And to my horror, I found out that yet again, you Americans have changed the words of a classic song. So in England, we sang Ring, A Ring of Roses, A Pocket Full of Posies, A Tissue, A Tissue, We All Fall Down. Yes! the way it should be sung. Not ashes, ashes, what's that about? Now, I will explain that there's even more confusion because I shared this story in first service and my wife and I were just out in the lobby and talking and she says, what does a tissue even mean? I was like, well, that's the noise you make when you sneeze. She's like, no, that's a chew. I was like, no, it's a tissue. So obviously, there are a lot of disparities here between the English version of the song and the American version of this popular nursery rhyme. But the worst thing, the biggest horror, was a few years back when I heard what the, uh, the legend is of the basis of this nursery rhyme. Now, there's still some skepticism as whether this is true or not, um, but the theory is that this nursery rhyme came about in the 1600s and is about the bubonic plague. Yes, this joyful little song is about the the plague that killed 100,000 Londoners back in the 1600s. Ring a ring of roses, I guess the first sign that you had the plague was these small round red um, things would appear on your skin. Uh, People would carry a pocket full of posies, which is uh, flowers, flower petals, to sniff because the stench of death in the streets of London was so strong. A tissue, a tissue, ashes, ashes, whatever, it was death related, we all fall down, dead. (laughs) What a joyful song for us to sing as children, huh? That's just a really peppy little number about plagues. So um, I share this story because this morning uh, we are going to talk about some plagues in the Bible. Now, I may be uh, biased here. I think London's a pretty uh, great city to visit, to live, but 500 years ago, not so much. 500 years ago, uh, sewage flowed freely in the streets. Uh, There was infestations of rats. They believed the fleas from those rats uh, are what caused uh, the plague of the 1664, 1665. Many plagues were going on all around Europe. It just wasn't a great time to be alive. But we're gonna find out here that thousands of years before that, in Egypt, there were even more plagues in one situation. And we'll find out why. So 
If you're here today and you've not been with us for the last few weeks, we've actually been talking about a guy by the name of Moses. We spent the last four or five weeks kind of going through his life's journey one week at a time and uh, just learning more about him, but then learning more about um, how that impacts our lives today. What are the lessons we can learn from the life of Moses? One of the big lessons we've learned over the last few weeks is that some of these these men and women in the Bible who we set up on these pedestals as being these incredible um, leaders and men and women of God, they're not unlike you and me. They make mistakes, they doubt, they're fearful. And we're gonna learn a lot. We've learned a lot over the last few weeks in the life of Moses. We learned that he was a baby born um, as an Israelite at the worst possible time in history a time when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. Not only were they in slavery, their numbers were increasing so rapidly that the Pharaoh, the the king of Egypt at the time, he sent out a law that all Hebrew baby boys were to be killed. And along comes Moses, set against this terrible backdrop. Moses is born and we discover that rather than um, him losing his life, his mum, in a desperate attempt to try and keep him alive, um, manages to get him to Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter raises Moses as her own son. So this little baby boy who, who could have lived in um, poverty grows up in the palace, becomes one of the most educated, powerful men in all of Egypt. But he knows his roots. He knows his people. He knows where he's from. He sees his fellow Israelites in slavery and the misery they're in. And he has this sense of destiny on his life that I can do something about this. I can change this. I can rescue these people. But we learned on the second week that timing is everything. Moses didn't consult God. He took matters into his own hands. He took the life of an Egyptian soldier. And as a result, he had to flee the country in fear of his life. Pharaoh wanted him killed. So off he goes to this place called Midian. It was the back of beyond. And for the next 40 years, he lives out there as a shepherd. And I'm guessing probably questioned every day while he was out there, God, have you forgotten me? I felt like I had all this destiny. I was was this powerful person in Egypt. And now here I am living in obscurity. And after 40 years, questioning his life's decisions, Whitney spoke a couple of weeks ago and told us this story about Moses being out in the field one day watching the sheep and he comes across this bush that's burning, which in and of itself wasn't that unusual, but this flame just kept on going. This bush wasn't being consumed by the fire. The fire was just burning and burning. And as Moses gets closer, God speaks to Moses through the fire. This crazy story of how God says, Moses, I'm not finished with you yet. In fact, I'm just beginning. Before you thought you were ready, but you weren't ready. But now after 40 years of of living in in brokenness and desperation, feeling like you, you can't do anything, now you're ready. Because now I can work through you. I can show my power through you. So Moses, you're gonna go back to Egypt and you are gonna rescue your people. It will be you that rescues the Israelites. So last week, we, we learned that Moses, full of confidence and excitement at this fresh call upon his life, he makes his way back to Egypt. He meets with the people of Israel and they're like, yeah, it's time. And then he goes to Pharaoh thinking, this is it. And Pharaoh denies his request. 
And things actually went from bad to worse. Pharaoh turned up the heat. He made the life of the slaves even worse. He made their conditions even tougher. The people of Israel started to get mad at Moses. Why couldn't you just left things alone? Yes, we're in slavery, but at least it wasn't that bad. Ever since you came to stir things up, things have got even worse. Moses questions God. God, why would you bring me back here just to make me look like a fool? God says to Moses, you don't understand. The time is not yet right. Pharaoh's heart is hard. And only something big will change his heart. So God assures Moses that he is still with him, that Moses will be the person that rescues the people of Israel from slavery. And that's where we're gonna pick up this morning of what happens next. But right before we do, some of you, you're starting to notice around your neighborhood the Christmas lights are going up. You can see the, the trees up outside the mall. You're thinking, we're getting very close to Christmas here and we're not very far into the life of Moses. Well, we know. <laughs> There's a lot to tell about Moses. There's too much to tell in one series alone. So when we planned this year, we realized that we were only gonna get to do Moses 1.0, okay? <laughs> Next year... Season two of Moses is coming, okay? So stay tuned. Uh, we do have the next part of Moses' life, but you're gonna have to wait till next year. Now, you could read it yourself. It's an Exodus. But if you wanna wait till next year, you'll get to hear what happens after the Israelites do leave Egypt. Because Moses, there's a lot happens in his life after that. But we're gonna get right up to the point of the Red Sea. But that's next week. Today, back to the plagues. Exodus chapter seven, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. We're gonna come back to that verse at the end because you might question that verse. We'll, we'll talk about that verse at the very end. But verse four, even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will bring down my fist on Egypt. I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God is saying to Moses, it's time. It's time. It, it needed to be something big to get. Pharaoh's attention. I mean, think about it. At this time, there are hundreds of thousands of Jews, Israelites, living in Egypt, and their role is slavery. Their role is to build. If you've been to Egypt, you'll see that still to this day, the, uh, the massive structures, the pyramids, they still exist to these days, built on the back of these slaves. It was a great time back then to be an Egyptian because they loved the fact that they didn't have to do this hard work because they had these slaves to do it all. So the idea of someone just walking in and saying, hey, we want this entire people group to be able to leave, to go and form their own country, their own identity, to have their own, that just wasn't gonna happen easily. Pharaoh wasn't gonna give up all that manual labor just like that. So God has to do something very big to get the attention of Pharaoh. And this is how it starts. Chapter seven, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn 
and he still refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river. Stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. Then announce to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with this staff in my hand, and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. The first plague was to turn the river to blood. I Googled, I did a search for a river and I came across this and it was a river somewhere in the world and they say that this can be a naturally occurring thing, you know, if minerals within the riverbeds, you know, are worn away, it can cause the color of the water to change. But most of the time when things like this happen, it's because of mankind, pollution, spills, that kind of thing. We don't know why or how the River Nile turns to blood. But we do know that the Nile was the source of drinking water for the Egyptians. Like a town in New England of the ancient world, fresh fish was their diet. People would go to this area to eat the fresh fish that could be found in the Nile. And for seven straight days, we read that it was um, like blood, that there was no clean water to drink and all the fish died. Can you imagine what that had to be like for the people of Egypt? If I told some of you here this morning that um, as of today, for the next seven days, the blend and fair coffee are gonna be shut, you'd freak out. You're like, wait, what? Seven days? What am I gonna do? I go there every morning. (laughs) Panic setting in. Imagine how much more for these people. This isn't just their, their coffee. This is their water supply. This is their food. But Pharaoh doesn't seem to care at all. Verse 22, Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh returns to his palace, and he put the whole thing out of his mind. Now, it doesn't say why, but I have to wonder if maybe um, being without water, being without fish for seven days really didn't affect Pharaoh that much. I mean, he lives in a palace. They probably had a lot of water on supply in storage. They must have had other uh, things they could drink. So Pharaoh wasn't really affected as much as the people in the community. So to him, maybe he didn't care that much. So Moses realizes that it's going to need more. So he prays and God sends another plague, a second plague. This plague was frogs. Frogs everywhere. (laughs) They're like kind of cute frogs, but I imagine like the, the, the worst kind of frogs and they are just everywhere. If you've ever been anywhere um, and you've slept and you hear frogs out in the distance, I mean, they're noisy. It's kind of annoying. You imagine hundreds, thousands of them constantly croaking, getting up in the middle of the night to, to go and use the bathroom and stepping on a frog. It's just, I mean, it's just awful, disgusting. This was a plague and And we learn now that this plague did affect Pharaoh. These frogs, they didn't care if he lived in a slum or a palace. They were everywhere. And they started to get to Pharaoh. So much so that Pharaoh calls Moses back. He says, enough. 
Tell God to get rid of these frogs. If he gets rid of them, I'll let your people go. So Moses prays and the frogs stop. And how does Pharaoh respond? Verse 15, when Pharaoh saw that relief had come, he became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had predicted. So Pharaoh's like, listen, please stop the frogs and I'll let you go. He stops the frogs, Pharaoh changes his mind. So another plague. In fact, two more plagues back to back. I grouped them together because they're kind of similar. Gnats and then flies. Gnats and then flies. I put them together because I hate them both. It's not like one was better than the other. I, I can't stand gnats and I can't stand flies. You can ask the staff. I mean, they, they just really bug me. Sometimes here in the building, different times of the year, for whatever reason, we'll have like flies or gnats in the building. There have been some times in staff meeting where we're sat just in this room out here the, where the fireside is. We meet there every Monday morning for staff meeting. And, and during the summer, I tend to wear my sandals and, and they'll see me. And you know, we'll be in the middle of a conversation and I'll just slowly reach for one of my sandals. I'll take it off because I've seen one just there on the coffee table. And they're like, what's it? And I was like, bang! And I just... <laughs> You're like, Nine times out of 10, I miss, I'm useless. And they get away and I'm so frustrated. So, so one of our staff, she found this at a shop, she purchased it. It's one of those things, it looks like a tennis racket. But when you press the button, it's like electric. And then you through the, some of you are nodding, you're like, oh yeah, they're brilliant. Seriously, if you've not got one of them, Put it on your Christmas list. Fantastic. Ever since we've got one here at the church, it's, rev I mean, it's very rarely you'll come in during the week and you'll not, you'll not see it within a few feet of me. I keep that thing by me every time. We had a staff meeting and there was a fly flew by and I reached out, I grabbed this thing, I kind of swung behind my head and behind my head I heard the bzzz. I was like, yes! It was just such a good feeling. It was like a really cool backhand shot. But you do have to be careful. Don't be stupid like me. The other day, there was literally, I was out here working. There was a, a gnat landing on my hand. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I grab it. And I don't know why I didn't just let it fly. I went down to the gnat. So as the thing, the zapper came in contact with the gnat, the gnat was still in contact with me. So we both got a zap. His worse than mine, but I still didn't like it. So... But I hate gnats and I hate flies and I can't imagine how awful it had to have been to have been plagued by these, this infestation. It had to have driven the people crazy. But something really interesting happened with the plague of flies. Listen to what the Bible tells us in Exodus about what happened with the flies. Verse 22, this time I will spare the region. This is God speaking. This time, I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. This is where the Israelites lived. No flies will be found there. Then you will know that I am the Lord and that I am present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. So this didn't happen with the river. This didn't happen with the frogs. It didn't even happen with the gnats. But suddenly when the flies came, the people of Egypt were affected, but the people of Israel weren't affected at all. And the people of Egypt had to look on and think, why is it that they're being protected and we're being plagued by these awful flies? And I think it's because we see a little glimpse there of God's um, judgment here to get the attention of Pharaoh, but also God's mercy. How much God cares for his people. Now the truth is, and I struggle with this sometimes. The reality is because our world is broken, because this isn't the perfect world that God created, the world that we live in now has, has sin and brokenness and disease and death. 
It means that even as followers of Jesus, we are affected by the things of this world. If you were here last week, we had a lady uh, baptized. Her name was Pam. And we showed a video of, of Pam's story, and it was just beautiful. She, she shared this story of how over the last year she's, she's been battling cancer. And throughout this fight that she's having with cancer, she was sharing some of the journey in, in how she's found God's uh, presence through this with her. She's seen God in new ways. She's experienced his love and his comfort and his peace through every stage of this journey. And it was just so inspiring to hear her share um, just her um, understanding of who God is as she's been through this tough time. But the sad part is that as a follower of Jesus, People who don't know Jesus have cancer and people who do know Jesus have cancer. And that's tough. But there are other times. There are stories I've heard people share of how situations have happened that will affect a community or will affect a world. And, and, and the followers of Jesus say, but we see how God protected us in that moment. We see how God was with us at that time. I think for many of us, who call Washington home, we can think of one very specific incident that this week we'll be remembering the 10-year anniversary of. 10 years ago, this week, the tornado came through and destroyed a large part of our town. There are folks here in this room right now who are affected by that tornado. But the miraculous thing about it was that as it came through on a Sunday morning when church buildings across Washington were full of people, Somehow, some might say coincidentally, I just believe that God's protection was upon us. It's almost like it went between the churches. A massive loss of life was averted because no churches were destroyed that morning by that tornado. And I see evidence throughout history of God watching over his people as he did the people of Israel at this time. But still, Pharaoh was stubborn. Still, Pharaoh would not release the people of Israel. So another plague comes along, this time against the livestock. All the livestock belonging to the Egyptians became sick and died. So they've already lost this supply of fish where they would get some of their food from. Now, the Egyptians are losing their dairy and their meat and everything that livestock would bring. And again, they're looking on at the Israelites whose livestock have gone unharmed. But even seeing this happen didn't soften Pharaoh's heart. So the next plague is a fun one. It was festering boils. <laughs> I chose a different picture because when I Googled boil, <laughs> the images I saw were awful. So this is the best picture I could show of boil. And this was just me searching boil. I didn't dare search festering boil. <laughs> Again, Pharaoh remains stubborn. So God sends hail. The next plague was hail. Hail so big that it destroyed everything in the fields. Trees, crops, livestock, even people who are working in the fields at that time. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, this just seems to be the final straw from Pharaoh. I think maybe it was the fact that he'd seen the, uh, the people's um, fish disappear, then the livestock, and then these crops be destroyed. He, it says here in verse 27 of chapter 9, Then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron, This time I have sinned. The Lord is the righteous one, and my people and I are wrong. Please 
beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. It's like after this final plague, Pharaoh was finally worn down. He's had enough in the midst of this misery. He says, enough already. Let them go. I promise if you'll stop the hail, I will let the people go. And I really believe that in that moment, Pharaoh believes himself to be true. I think he was saying, no, I promise I will do it. Those of you who are parents here this morning, have you ever had that situation where maybe your, your kid has been, hasn't been putting off their homework for a long period of time or they still haven't tidied their room and you find like, enough. I'm dropping the hammer. It's time for a punishment. You're not gonna get to go to your friends. You're gonna lose screens, whatever it is, and your kid is just like devastated. Like, please, please, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll clean my room right now. And I promise I'll never, ever let it get dirty again. And I believe they are telling the truth. I believe they mean it, and I believe in their hearts they really have every intention not to let it get dirty again. And then they forget to put that pair of socks in the laundry. Then they have that snack, and they leave their glass and their plate on their bedside table. And the next day they go in, and it's like just a hand grenade has exploded the entire room. (laughs) It's just a complete mess. I mean, that doesn't happen with my children, obviously, but I'm sure I've I've heard that it happens to, uh, uh, to other children. In that moment, I think our kids, they really have every good intention of doing what's right, but end up going back into those habits. Pharaoh, I think, really had every intention of doing what was right. But then when the plagues disappear, he quickly forgets how bad it actually was. Things seem to be okay again, and his stubborn heart reveals itself again. We realize this is a man that has no intention of changing and again goes back on his word. So God sends another plague. This time it's locusts. They destroy what remaining crops were still left after the hailstorm. The Egyptians have lost everything. This is starting to impact all of the people in Israel, in, or sorry, in Egypt in a major way. So much so that now the people are starting to put pressure on Pharaoh. Exodus 10, 7 says, Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him. How long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go to worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruins? But still, Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't concede. So the next plague that came was darkness. That's my picture of darkness. (laughs) That's what darkness looks like, in case you didn't know. For days on end, the entire nation, it says, was just plunged into darkness. The people are scared. The people are are crying out to Pharaoh, you've got to do something. But again, he digs in his heels. Verse 27, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart once more and he would not let them go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted Moses. I'm warning you, never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Very well, Moses replied, I will never see your face again. This was the ninth plague, the darkness. And it turns out that Pharaoh will see Moses one more time. Because there was one final act of judgment from God. There was one final thing that happened. We're not going to talk about that one today. We're just going to save that for next week. But spoiler alert, that was the one that finally broke Pharaoh. And he said, okay, 
get out of here. Leave my country. And you'll find out next week what it was. But today I want to end on plague number nine. And I'll tell you why. Because as interesting as it is to go through this, this chapter of history, this, this chapter of Moses' life, and, and learn about what God was doing, whenever I'm speaking on a Sunday, I always try to say, well, God, this is great to learn a little bit more about Moses and his life, but how does this affect me? How do these nine plagues have any impact on my daily life in 2023? God, I want to read this and I want to become um, a better husband, a better father, a better follower of Jesus. How do, how do I learn from this situation? As I was praying about that this week, I, I kind of came up with this thought as I looked at the story. And, I, and in particular, I looked at Pharaoh and his response to God. And this is what I believe he wants us to learn this morning, that God wants your heart. God wants your heart. What stood in the way of the Israelites being able to leave was Pharaoh's heart, his hard, stubborn heart. If he'd have just had a soft heart to God, he would, none of those plagues would have happened. But it's like each one, he got stubborner and stubborner. Is that a word? His heart got harder and harder. The truth is there are many things in our lives that have our hearts, our family, our friends, causes we stand for, money, adventures, education, and none of these in and of themselves are wrong. But some of us, these things can be the most important thing. They have all of our hearts. And the trouble is that, that there's a danger. They'll let us down at times. But many of us here this morning, we've made the decision to, to give our hearts to God. We say, God, first and foremost in my life, I want my heart to be yours. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. And I believe that God will never, ever let us down. Giving your heart to him above all else, I think is the best decision any of us can ever make. But here's what we need to remember this morning. God will never take your heart. He will never force you to follow him. He'll never force you to love him. He wants us to freely give us our hearts, to freely choose to follow him, to freely choose to love God. He will do all that he can to reveal himself to you. He will do all that he can to show how wonderful he is. That might be through other people, through your own experience with God. You may be here this morning because God wants your heart. He loves you so much. He wants a relationship with you. And you thought you were coming just to, um, you know, join your friends, your family, whatever it might be. But God is actually uh, dying to have a, a, a relationship with you. He loves you so much, but he'll never take your heart. It has to be a choice that you make for yourself. Because from the time God created man and woman, he chose to give us free will. Free will. Adam and Eve were free to do whatever they wanted. They only had one rule, and that was not to eat from a certain tree. The truth is, in this world in which we live, it would probably be much better all around if we didn't have free will, if God did control us. Because then he could make sure we always do the right things, that we never harm one another, that we never do anything wrong. But then we'd be like robots. The only reason we would follow God is because he'd made us follow him. I don't know about you, but the reason I love my wife so much is because she knows who I am. She knows the good and she knows the bad. And she chose to say yes to my marriage proposal over 25 years ago. And she says yes every day since. 
because she loves me. And I love that. I love that I don't have to force her to stay with me, that she chooses to stay with me. That's what love really looks like. And that's why we have free will, so that we can choose to love God. We can choose to have a relationship with him. Now, the drawback is, that means we can also choose to do the wrong thing. Adam and Eve, when you read that story, she chose to eat the fruit she shouldn't have eaten. She gave it to Adam. He chose to eat it too. Pharaoh had a choice. He could choose to listen to God or to dig his heels in. And he chose to say no. He chose to say no to God. And it's so important that we understand that because as we touched on earlier, I said I'd come back to this at the end, it meant that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Do you remember when I read that earlier and it said, you know, God went, um, Moses went to Pharaoh to ask, you know, to let the people go and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. When I was younger, I remember reading that verse and thinking, well, God, that's not fair. That seems a bit mean. What if Pharaoh wants to let them go? But he couldn't because you hardened his heart. Why would you do that? He may have been a really nice guy, but you hardened his heart. As I grew as a Christian, I, I got to understand more that God will never harden our hearts. He'll never change our heart. Only we can change our hearts. So what does this verse mean? Well, I heard someone teach on it once, and they shared this analogy that I'm about to share with you, and it just completely clarified what's happening here. So imagine, if you will, we're back in July or August. It's a hot summer's day here in central Illinois. It's one of those just blazing, scorching days, humid, hot. And about lunchtime, you, you decide to go and set two objects on your driveway. One's a candle, and one is a piece of clay. When you set the pair of those on your driveway and you leave it, and it just goes through the afternoon, it's 100 degrees plus, it's just so hot. You go back out there about four or five o'clock and you pick those two things up. The candle made of wax out there in that hot sun has now started to soften. You can kind of squish it a little bit because it's softened in the sun. But what's happened to that soft clay that you set in the sun? It's been hardened. Because that's what happens when you heat up clay. It hardens. So the sun didn't do something different to the candle than it did. The sun was just the sun. The sun was just heat emanating out. But what the two objects were made of determined their response to the sun. The candle softened, the clay hardened. And what I learned from this guy as he was teaching on this said, you know, Pharaoh's heart was going to determine Pharaoh's response. Our heart this morning will determine our response to God. God is like the sun. He loves, he shines, he's, he's, he wants us to be in a relationship with him. And if we'll go before him with a soft heart, he'll soften our heart. He'll shape us, he'll mold us. He'll make us into who he created us to be. But some of us, we resist God. We push back. We don't want to let God into our lives or we don't want to let God into that one area of our life. And like clay, our heart starts to harden. God's not hardening it. He's not causing it. But because of our heart, it's hardening in the presence of God. That's what happened here to Pharaoh. It wasn't that God hardened his heart. It was just that because of Pharaoh's stubborn heart, in the presence of God, it just got harder and harder. 
And my prayer for you this morning, whether it's um, giving God your heart for the very first time or giving God access to that area of your life where you know He's, he's challenging you, you know this is an area of your life that, that you should try and um, allow God into, but you've been resisting. Don't let that resistance cause your presence or your, you, you being in God's presence to get harder, your heart become harder. Allow Him to soften your heart. Let's pray. Father, as we look on at the life of Moses this morning, and we look at this interaction between Pharaoh and Moses and Pharaoh and God, we can see that this is a man who, when he was in your presence, rather than submitting to you, rather than acknowledging who you are and allowing you to be God in his life, he resisted, he pushed back. His, his stubbornness caused his heart to get harder and harder. Lord, I pray for all of us here this morning, myself included, that we wouldn't allow our stubbornness to get in the way. We wouldn't allow our resistance to cause our hearts to grow hard. But the Father, we would always come to you saying, Lord, soften my heart. Shape me, mold me, make me who you want me to be. Change me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.